Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Coffee and Convos podcast, where the best conversations happen over coffee. I'm your host, and today we are at Gold Standard Studios, and I'm super excited to be sitting here with Elmo. I'm super stoked. Thanks Ivan's doing me. the little excited shrug over there through the window, but thank <laughs> you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on this podcast. Yay. Yay. So for those who don't know, because even I know just a fraction of what you do, you are a sound engineer. You're also a tour manager. Mm -hmm. You do a lot of the things behind the scenes in music. Mm -hmm. And I think that is so exciting being that we're in a music studio right now. Right, and you work right. out of here too sometimes. Yes, I do. Um, but yeah, I'd love to hear a bit of your story and just sure. kind of like how you got into all of this. Sure. So I'm Elmo. It's a nickname I've had since I was in like grade school, third or fourth grade. Got into music very, very early on. I have an older brother who's seven years older than me. And so when he was in high school in his punk rock bands, I was just getting into like middle school-ish and so I was kind of getting into that impressionable age the preteen age where I like started to find out what I liked to do and I gravitated very heavily towards like the technical side of music because I grew up around music my parents got me involved in music at a very early age been playing music pretty much all my life at some capacity mm -hmm. I'm I'm no master by any means but I I just grew up around it so I kind of gravitated towards the technical side to help my brother and since then I've just fallen into this rabbit hole and never wanted to get myself out i've just always wanted to go deeper and, and learn more about what it is i'm doing and that's kind of led me to where i am now i started doing audio engineering at like a recording capacity right like only thinking about like recording my friends bands or whatever and then i as it just as i just started finding out more and more i started going to concerts more i'd saw that there was a sound guy there and wanted to figure out how to do that stuff. And then I fell into live sound mm -hmm. and that started uh, a somewhat of a touring career, if you will. And then I started doing tour management because of that, because of you know, just, I kept learning more and more and seeing different ways to do things. And so I, I, I guess all of that is to say that I just, I try and apply myself anywhere that I see um, an opportunity to. Mm -hmm. and and then kind of learn what i'm doing after the fact oh wow. i was actually uh i don't know if any of your audience watches the office oh yeah absolutely I, uh, I do for sure i had just watched the episode that nelly comes into the whole series and she's this outside like character and then she just walks in sits in the manager's chair and becomes the manager for like a season and a half mm -hmm. and that's kind of how i feel most times when i'm so in this world i just kind of Walk in, see a chair, sit down and take it. And then I figure out how to do that job as I'm going. And maybe not the best way to go about certain <laughs> things, but I've I've found some sort of success in, in doing that. I mean, I'm still hungry, still always working and never stop. I'm here at this studio gold standard all the time, probably five days a week. Just even if I'm not working here, I'm, I'm here trying to absorb the energy and be around mm -hmm. the creativity and the people that come in and out of this place. That's, that's a lot of it is just being there being yeah. somewhere. I a hundred percent agree with that for sure. Just showing up and putting yourself into these situations and Absolutely. being able to, like you said, absorb the knowledge and be around the right people at yep. the right time, I feel like. Mm -hmm. And not to say to like using those opportunities to take advantage of the people around you, but like just learning and growing yes. Yes. with them. Absolutely. Um, 
But what I'd love to hear is, has this always been like a goal of yours? Like you say that you, you see an opportunity and you take it. Have you always seen yourself being this, like immersed in music and the behind the scenes of it all and like being in tour and everything? Yes, to some degree. I've always found a, what's the word? A community within music and art. But mostly music. Like I, 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 I like art, and I like as generally as it can be. I like art, mm-hmm. but my focus and where I feel I am most understood or expressive is through music. I've taken photos every now and then. I've used Photoshop and edited pictures, and you know, at some point there was a there was a, a couple of years in high school that I thought I wanted to be a photographer, and Ooh. you know, so I, mm-hmm. I've I've kind of explored a couple different avenues, but I, I I feel most comfortable in music. So yeah, it kind of has been something that I have for some time seen myself doing, and and envisioned a future with myself being in music, and and that could always change and I don't think it will ever be a point where I won't have that connection to music or the culture of Mm -hmm. musicians or just people who listen to music too. Right. I, I, I feel very connected to music as an art. Um, but I've, as far as I can remember, it's always pretty much been music. It's, it's been, Find a way to make this your career because there are avenues outside of the pure creativity that can supply me with what I need for a, a future, for a career, mm-hmm. for all of that. You know, I, I kind of see it as a little bit of entrepreneurship because in this world, more so now I'm realizing you kind of have to work multiple like facets of this Mm-hmm. industry whatever industry you you're in creatively yeah. you have to be wearing many hats it, it, it's almost a requirement is what i'm feeling mm-hmm. um that's how i got into tour management is because i was doing audio and just sound for the longest time and then i stopped getting tours I stopped being uh, booked for touring opportunities because the budgets were getting smaller for a quote-unquote sound guy or a sound girl. So I started to realize I needed to find a way to make myself more valuable. And that found its way through tour management. Or, you know, another opportunity that I could have gone through is production management or tour booking or being mm-hmm. an agent or something. You know, like there's there was definitely another many different avenues that were less quote unquote creative, mm-hmm. but still very thinking outside the box right um yeah i mean it's all it's all just you have your one vision and thinking about how hard you're willing to work to maintain that and what else you are willing to do to keep that your main focus right Mm -hmm. that's kind of what i'm that's kind of the name of my game for the last couple of years is stay valuable stay relevant but keep your your main your your one true love so to speak keep that as the main focus. I love that. I love that. I love that you said that you have to take on multiple hats because as I quit my job in the last year and I really had to figure out this whole like freelance 
situation that I'm in where I I did social media marketing for the longest time. Sure. And I had to figure out like how do I market myself now? Yes. And make absolutely. myself valuable. And yes. I had to learn photography. Mm-hmm. And in some cases record things for video for clients, right? Because they're like, well, I want to use video. I'm like, crap, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Right. But you're right. Like it's it's you always have to continue learning and staying relevant and I think that's such a great way to even just start this conversation because I feel like there are times where I feel like I'm not good enough and having that like self-worth like you know or imposter syndrome like why would people hire me because I don't like I don't have the same skills as Ian or you know what have you and he's like a professional videographer and i'm over here just like recording something on like my little handheld camera sure type of thing i think that there's there's value in that though because you know if there's if there are other people who are dealing with this as well i think it's a common thing for many entrepreneurs i'm sure even ian has felt that way before Mm -hmm. i know iman and i have had many conversations about this sort of phenomenon where you you're feeling like why me you know what mm-hmm. what what is my value in comparison to others but i think just the fact that there is that conversation even if it's an internal monologue like the fact that it's there means that you're hungry enough to try to either a find an answer or b not care about the answer and continue to push through it mm-hmm. because that's that's so important you know if you if you don't feel that drive to even like you were mentioning you you're like why why me like why would they want me to do this video instead of someone else who's a quote-unquote professional videographer you're still gonna do your best work you're still gonna Mm -hmm. try you're still gonna try to figure out how to make it what they want and that that ethic that drive is also something valuable that maybe many other quote-unquote professional videographers don't have and there have been times that I've lost that drive and I've been almost too self-confident in my work where Mm. I lose opportunities because I think I'm approached by a client and they say I want to do this and I in my head I'm thinking I can't do that I don't do that Um. and I will not try to do that rather than huh maybe I could do something like that let's go ahead and explore that and you know, I might not give you the A plus plus quality that you're looking for, but mm-hmm. I'll give you a solid B minus. Yeah. Uh, like it'll be almost there for someone who doesn't really know what they're doing. I think that's also important. You could miss a lot of opportunities by not rising to that occasion, even if for no other reason than to try and say that you did it. I think that that's super important for people that are trying to just be creative and make it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's opportunity will knock on your door and you're either going to answer or you're not. Damn, that's so real. Yep. I, that's I, that's so just true. that's that's the way that I view a lot of things is mm-hmm. it's it's about are you going to answer that door and are you going to try or are you just going to let the opportunity pass you by because you're either comfortable or don't know what to do. And, and those are two very general op- options. But like, yeah, for you sure. Know, it, from my experiences in my life. It's always I've always passed up opportunities because I'm either too comfortable doing what I'm doing or I don't know what I would do in that situation. So I just let them knock on the door and then walk away. It's 
it's not a great habit. I'm not proud of it. I've definitely lost a lot of work through that, but mm-hmm. it's the name of the game. You know, it's, yeah. You, you, you live with it and you keep going and right. you try something else the next time around. Yeah, absolutely. So what is your, what would you say your title is? Not to put you in a box, but just so people kind of understand what you do. So you are a freelance (laughs) audio engineer? Yes. I would consider myself primarily an audio engineer because that is what I've spent the most time doing. Mm -hmm. In my 10 plus years of doing audio engineering for myself, I've developed a number of managerial skills and a number of business skills that I've never gone to school for and I would never want to call myself a businessman or Mm. a manager because I don't feel I've necessarily deserved that or earned that rather Mm -hmm. um earned either of those titles but I have learned a a couple of things in what I'm doing trying to essentially own a small business Right. You know, I'm I'm self-employed. I've been self-employed for six years. My taxes have been a wreck <laughs> because <laughs> I am just, you know, I'm I'm doing for myself and I'm happy doing for myself. Yeah. But, you know, I, I would primarily consider myself an audio engineer because there are more things that I'm certain of in mm-hmm. that title than I would be with any other title one might give me or I might give myself. But audio engineering is definitely my my strongest suit, my best colorful hat. That's the that's the one that I wear the most. That's awesome. Mm. So typically, what does that look like for you? Um, what 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 exactly do you mean? What does that look like? like what, what is, is it, your what everyday day life and, okay. as an audio engineer? Well, I know I'm because I'm here at the studio and I see him all the time. For thing, the majority of the time, my day to day looks like coming to one of the various recording studios in San Diego, spending a bunch of time there, either working, observing, or simply just being here, hanging out. And then depending on the day, I would be after this heading to a concert venue and not to attend a concert, to work a concert, because not only do I do in-studio audio engineering for like making a record or producing or something like that, Mm -hmm. I also do work in concerts. And I will help make the artist on stage have the sound they desire for the audience. Um, so I'll a, a typical day will end with me at one or two studios, and I'll end up at a concert venue or two, and then probably after that concert is done, right back to the studio and then go home. All the while, I'm surrounded by music. I'm surrounded by creativity, by art. More than anything, I'm surrounded by invigorating conversation. And a lot of ideas, a lot of ideas. And that's Mm -hmm. what I've wanted to be around. And so I've kind of gone above and beyond to position myself around people who have ideas. I've just felt that I've been more stimulated around that topic of conversation Mm -hmm. rather than going to a bar with a bunch of my friends and just talking crap about other people we know or gossiping about this that or the other i'm, I'm very right. very much moving myself towards being around idea conversations all the time um i think the only times that my days don't include going to the studio or ending at ending up at a uh, concert venue are days that i'm on tour and tour is 
pretty much all about the one or two jobs that I might have. So it's pretty much all about my, if I'm on tour as a tour manager, it's pretty much all about my managerial duties all day long. Mm -hmm. If I'm a sound guy, then it's pretty much all about the 30 minutes, 45 minutes, hour long show that I'll be doing pretty much all day long. Um, But other than that, my typical day is when I'm at home. I'm in studios all day long at the gym when I'm not and then at a concert venue spending time with my family and my loved ones that's it's uh, i i live what i consider to be a very simple life mm-hmm. but by no means am i saying that i'm ungrateful for that or that it's not exciting within itself yeah but that's, that's I, I mean that's that's the only really way that i could put it i'm i'm just around a bunch of ideas and a bunch of I love that. really cool gear and a lot yeah. of a lot of microphones lots oh. of microphones <laughs> so you're definitely not foreign to this situation right now certainly not <laughs> sitting in a room with a microphone in my face yeah. that's definitely very normal for me nice nice it's do you not. get do you get uh, guests on your podcast that are very uh, wary of microphones and and yeah. don't really they feel nervous around mm-hmm. it guess it could be pretty intimidating this microphone is quite large and yeah it's right it's it's not like a camera that's you know a couple feet away from me even this is like right in my face yeah people get nervous about when i either have to take a photo of them Mm -hmm. or if they're on the podcast and they're like i'm so nervous and i'm just like it's really just a casual conversation with microphones in our face i think that that that's a that's another thing is like i I, there's a there's a, a personal like connection with the capturing of something and i i remember watching a movie about something where where the premise of the movie was photography and one of the characters was mentioning that they don't like their photos being taken because it it like it captures their soul forevermore or something of that sort and it it kind of has been like ringing in my head ever since because it's it's pretty true really mm-hmm. like even with a microphone this my voice is going through this electrical circuitry device right and then it's going into a computer and it's being recorded forever i yeah. can't like go back and change the words that i'm saying i could now because it's 2019 and we have the technology but <laughs> it's not the point i'm making it there's a there's a piece of everybody that is captured in any sort of recording process oftentimes when i'm talking to new clients i use the word capture Mm-hmm. instead of record because i view it that way there's a there's a there's a spirit to what you are recording whether it's a photo a video or audio yeah. there that energy that spirit that whole idea will have a, a value it will have an importance and in my own productions in the studio or at a concert i make it a a, a very high priority to maintain the integrity of that spirit and put that at the forefront rather than many engineers that i know around the nation even will just try to make something sound cool and Mm -hmm. in the process or look cool and in the process completely devalue that spirit of the original intention and and that's super important to me because artists have this idea and who am I to change their idea without their consent? You know, right. it's 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 my job to help them take what they have in their head as an idea and make it a reality in reality and, and make it something that's permanent and forever. So I can totally see the, the fear or the nervousness or the mm-hmm. anxiety around 
cameras, photo cameras, video cameras, and microphones. Yeah. Even for people who are the most confident speakers, I'm sure they feel some sort of nerves or anxiety because there's a lot of ambiguity. There's a lot of things that people don't know about microphones. There's a lot of pe- things that people don't know about photos, uh, cameras, both photo and video, you know? Mm-hmm. It could be anything. They don't know what's going on. Sometimes That's they very do. True. Yeah. Like I know what's going on with this microphone. It's one of my favorite microphones ever. But nice. I mean, <laughs> that's not to say that everybody who's on your podcast speaking into this microphone would know that. Right. Ooh, that's such an interesting perspective. I really like that you said like capturing those moments. Sure. Because like you said, it's that <sighs> moment in time, the story you're telling here and now, and though exactly. that could change tomorrow or a week from now or a year from now, like this is going to be shared. Mm-hmm. And that was the intention of this. But the fact that there's some times where Ian and I, um, we like just record videos for ourselves for the sole purpose of capturing that moment. Like, sure. especially when we travel and we just, there's been times where we just like even audio record ourselves. Cause we're mm-hmm. like, so in the moment with our ideas and we're like, Oh my gosh, we should record this because mm-hmm. who knows like what will happen. And then we're going to forget. And it kind of led to like some of our best like ideas and like partnerships to work together sure. on things. So, yeah. I think even just the fact that we have technology to allow the access of what comes of these things Mm -hmm. like just off the top of my head i went to disneyland recently and thinking about how many people were on their phones taking videos yeah just even for themselves Mm -hmm. we have phones now we have little pocket devices that can capture video and audio and, and and make permanent this moment in time that is honestly fleeting Mm-hmm. You know, all of these moments are, are just that they're moments, they're here and then they're gone. But now we have technology that can make those permanent so you can go back and revisit that and gather more information, more sensory information about that. And that's so impressive to me. And I feel being a part of the creative technical side of these sorts of things, I feel like I have a duty to do my best job for those who come to me to utilize those skills. Mm -hmm. You know, like if I were to be the date videographer at Disneyland, you know, something (laughs) like that. Like if it wasn't somebody who had their own phone taking a video, Mm -hmm. someone said, Hey, come with me to take videos of my day. I would think, you know, this is an amazing responsibility that I've been endowed and let's go full bore. Mm -hmm. Let's go for it. You know, I, I think that that's just kind of, Putting it as generally as I can, that's why I act the way that I do about what I have. I, I've only done a number of different, like a, a handful of different things in my life aside from audio. Um, one of them was I also did web design and marketing for a little while. Oh, so nice. okay. I, I also kind of in my wearing many hats have kind of explored other options to see what else I could be doing. Again, trying to remain relevant, trying to remain valuable, if only just to myself. Mm-hmm. Um but it's 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 pretty wild this whole new technology stuff like we're talking into a microphone and i'm thinking right now these microphones have been developed for decades and when they were probably first developed the idea of a recording being streamed to millions of people was as crazy as flying cars or cars <laughs> that drive themselves you right. know now we're here we have cars that drive themselves and we're using the same technology. It's it's all it's all just 
mind blowing to me. It's that all just so cool. I love that perspective because there's times where I have conversations with people about technology and it's mm-hmm. actually more of a negative perspective and how when you brought up Disneyland, I expected more of like everyone's on their phones. Oh, I mean, well, versus, yeah, everyone is like, on their phones, but <laughs> versus enjoying the moment. Sure. You know, I think it's just present. I think the conversation is just changing, really. I think people are still enjoying the moment, but they're choosing to enjoy the moment in a way that will allow them to enjoy it further than just that Mm, one mm -hmm. time. And I think that that's not only important, but I think it needs to be kind of, it needs, it needs more light. It needs more, more visibility because I mean, I see it all the time at concerts, thousands of people in front of me when I'm at the mixing board, they're looking forward the same way that I am, but I'm behind all of them. So they don't see me looking at them with their phones up. And there are so many people that I know that would think, this is this is egregious. Why mm-hmm. would they be on their phones when they're right. at the concert? You know, this only happens once. Like, yeah, sure. But because it only happens once, they want to hold on to that memory forever. Mm. And I think that that's important. You know, it, who am I to judge how somebody enjoys themselves? Right. It's not my point. It's not my place to say that. And it's not my prerogative either. My, my whole thing is to help people enjoy. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I mean, I do believe that there is a whole lot of negativity about technology. And I, I think, you know, the Internet could be a war machine and, and it could change the entire world. Just thinking about it. I mean, the Internet's only, what, 20, 30 years old. Right. Yeah. And so much has changed in so that time. Much. And I, I you know, it, there's a lot of good. There's a lot of bad. But I don't know. I guess I just try to focus on the good when there's equal parts of both. You know, why exactly. look at, why why focus on the bad stuff? Mm-hmm. and try to it's not going anywhere right the internet is not going anywhere so if i just demonize it and and be an antagonist about it and not vouch for it then i'm just going to get passed up Mm -hmm. it's just going to keep growing and growing and there's going to be someone else out there that's going to utilize the the power that it has whether it's good or bad and i'm just going to get left in the dust yeah and that's not what i want i want to be relevant exactly exactly keep trying yeah no i I mean without without all the technology and the the internet and any stuff related to that like this podcast might not have ever been an idea Mm -hmm. of yours this the people who are listening to this might not have ever had the ideas that they've gotten from the guests on your show or from you yourself just from your perspectives i think it's a a fantastic thing but it's just misunderstood yeah as most great inventions are it's just misunderstood at first it's frankenstein (laughs) that's a good point that's a good point you mentioned earlier that you do your freelance work and you also do live sound. Audio, yes, live yes. sound. Mm-hmm. So, what is the main difference between the two, and what are some of the challenges that you experience? So, the easiest way to explain the difference between doing live audio and being in a recording studio doing a record is that the live audio feels like training like weight training or the gym for making a record because you are faced with a challenge that is more impactful than anything else and that is time when you are at a concert or at a gig that requires you to be you know it's 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 an it's a live in-person event you're only given that time frame Mm -hmm. and let's just put it in the perspective of a concert you have a 30 minute window 
to identify and troubleshoot any problems that you might have with your gear, with the artist, with the environment, and you have to identify that, fix it, and do it 15 seconds ago because there's a sea of people that are relying on you and your skill sets to give them what they want from this event. Mm -hmm. Whereas in a studio, you're isolated, you're behind closed doors, you more or less have the benefit of time on your side. And another benefit is that you are more directly influencing the artist and vice versa. So there's, there's more conversations happening and there's more that can be accomplished with any given time. So for me, I always work very, very hard and fast at a concert. But when I'm in a studio, I'm much more leisurely and a lot more um, available to ideas and conversations Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. I don't have this small window of time that I have to really focus on getting something right or fixing a problem. Yeah, That's pretty much the biggest difference between live sound and studio sound. Another huge difference that I'm becoming more aware of now in my sound journey, if you will, is that being at a concert, you use the same skills, but in a different way. Okay. And I'm, I'm starting to realize that where a photographer might equate that to lighting scenarios. You have studio lighting versus natural mm, lighting. Mm-hmm. Um, that plays a huge difference in the lenses that you would use, the aperture settings, the f-stops, all that makes a big difference with the lighting source. And I guess that's that's kind of the the, the big new journey for me or the new challenge for me is learning how to utilize the skills that I've learned over the last 10 years and do them differently because I have to in my live sound stuff and my concerts and whatnot there's a couple of differences but yeah most of it is just it's just technical stuff and it's looking at things in a different way mm-hmm. at, at the very beginning of me doing live sound i was very overwhelmed and very intimidated because i knew that there was going to be differences but i didn't i wasn't receptive to the possibility of them being simple changes or perspective changes and now i'm just kind of sitting back i know what i know and I feel like I, I still learn. I don't mean to say that I don't learn anything, but I'm I'm confident in my skills right now. Mm-hmm. And so I'm kind of banking on that to help me strengthen both sides of that. You know, there's, uh, I just, I, I'm, my prerogative is to be the, the best audio engineer I can be for myself mm-hmm. and not be the best in the world. Right. That's how I started. I was like, I want to be the best audio engineer in the world. I want to be the <laughs> best record producer ever. I want to record everything. I still want to record everything. Yeah. But I feel like there's been a huge weight off of my shoulder or huge weight lifted off of my shoulders rather in me realizing that I don't need to be the best in the world. I just want to be the best that I can be mm-hmm. with the skills that I have and, and continue to learn from that and yeah. just get better at that. I love that. That intention of kind of like filling up your cup before you fill up somebody else's. Exactly. That's something that... um I've had multiple conversations with with people in the last couple of weeks, especially because it's the new year, right? And people are like, I need to focus more on like self-care and then the things that I want to do because why aim to do something 
for a title to be the best in the world, Mm -hmm. right? Like this podcast isn't going to be like the number one podcast in the world, but I want it to be the best podcast that I can create with my friends. Right. And I think that's super important for anybody that's creating anything. There's, it's so easy to get lost in the competition, but Mm -hmm. if you remove the competition altogether, if even only just from your own mind, then your ability to get better at what you're doing becomes so much easier. All of it just gets so much easier when you're not competing. And the only competition that you have is yesterday's self. That's, that's really, you, you, I feel like a lot of the creatives that I meet and I meet a lot of creative people on the road at at any given day, I'm probably meeting at least two to three new creatives, Mm -hmm. even in town, on tour, at a concert venue, at a coffee shop. Everyone is competing and it's a culture of competition. I don't want to be involved in that culture. I want to be aware of it and I want to know what's going on, but I'm not in it to be better than anyone else. I'm in it to be the best that I can be. And I think that a lot of creatives who are struggling would benefit from exploring that if only for a month or a week or a day, Mm -hmm. seeing what becomes easier when they stop competing with those around them. I love that. I love that. Um, One of the questions that Justin wanted to ask is, uh, what do you do when the music stops? What do I do when the music stops? I breathe and that's not, uh, I like, it's not just like a, I physically breathe. I, I, (laughs) when I'm not working and I find this a lot when I get home from tour because it's so, I invest so much of myself Mm-hmm. on the road i i get a chance to release and not focus on it and it at this point i've been doing audio freelance whether it's on the road or at home in a studio at a concert venue whatever i've been doing it for so long that it has become an, a part of my identity so when i when the music stops i have an opportunity to really just relax and enjoy my surroundings i live in san diego it's one of the most beautiful cities in the world. It truly blows my mind how lucky I am to be living in a place like this. And oftentimes I can get carried away and not remember that. So mm. when I'm not working, when the music stops, I have an opportunity to bask in this paradise that people save their whole lives to come spend a week at. And I get to live here and call this home. So I get, I get a chance to breathe. I get a chance to relax. Also, when the music stops, I get to have fun. I've been going to the gym a lot, and I'm not trying to get super buff, super jacked, or anything. Like I just, <laughs> I enjoy having that time to care for myself. Yeah. Um, I think that right now in my mid twenties, it's increasingly difficult to give myself time for self love, and that's something that I've struggled with a lot. I've grown up through anxiety and depression, and it's it takes a toll on a person's psyche and physiology and now i'm trying to recuperate from all of that so all of that stuff happens when the music stops Um, i get to focus on my relationships with my loved ones with my friends with my family there's a lot that happens when the music stops but it's it's kind of i think it'd be worth noting that even when i'm not working the music 
quote unquote, doesn't really ever stop in my head. Like I'm always Mm -hmm. still thinking about something Mm -hmm. because even if I am relaxing, if I'm on the beach or if I'm at home, I'm probably like thinking about a mix technique or a song or that's when I get inspired a lot is when I'm not doing anything and I'll want to pick up a guitar or a piano and start an idea. That's part of the reason why I've found myself spending more time in a studio when I'm not working. When the music stops, I'm still around music. So mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of, it's interesting. I don't ever feel that it does stop, but I feel a lot of creative people would probably say the same thing about their own creative yeah, outlets, absolutely. that it never really stops. It's always something that's like a, a 24-hour job sort of thing, but it's not really a job at that mm-hmm. point. It's kind of a passion. Yeah. What about you though? What what do you do when that music stops? You know, like when when you're not thinking about your podcast or not taking photos, what what are some things that you like to do? It's a great question. <laughs> um, it's a little, it's a little challenging yeah, to answer that. It right? is uh, something that I've been trying to do a lot more is just read, pick mm-hmm. up more books. Mm-hmm. Um, I just finished Stephen Pressfield's follow up to the War of Art, and it's called Do the Work. Wow. Okay. And that was like the first. I read that in like the first week of January. And I just like kicked my butt, and I was just like, I have to just do the work. Like, duh, yeah. right? It just like makes total sense. And picking up other books and um, reading more about like marketing and stuff. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. Steph Godin wrote a book called This Is Marketing, and I'm reading that right now, and it's so good. And I just I've been listening to him, um, his talks and all the interviews he's he he's been on, and he's like one of the people that would love to have Mm -hmm. on the podcast too and i don't know most of the things even when i'm kind of like what you said when i'm not working essentially i'm still thinking about things i'm still kind of like kind of doing my research but not really Mm -hmm. just listening to other podcasts that i admire and that i like to listen to whether that is like joe rogan sure or something completely random you know and it's just cool it's really cool to see and um, I guess kind of like admire what other people are creating. Um, what I really did love, uh, last week in and I got a chance to go to a museum and it was a gallery for, I think his name was Ingram. He's a photographer. He was like one of the first photographers for Vogue. Wow. This was like back in the forties. Wow. So it was like, and he passed in like 2007. So mm-hmm. it was like basically his life story and photos and That's seeing that progression cool. was just like incredible because you got to see how he picked up a camera. I, his, I don't even know if that's his name, but I'm going to say like this guy was incredible and he was able to pick up a camera after he decided like, oh, I wanted to do like sculpture art or something. And then he wanted to document his travels because and then that and just then became And that just became the thing. Wow. And sometimes the story goes that way. Mm-hmm. It's something of I pick up a different tool for a different art because I need a different way to express myself since my passion became my job. Yeah. That's another thing that I see a lot is creative people they go all in for their passion and then it becomes work. And then their passion no longer gives them any sort of relief. And then they feel lost and that the part of their identity that once gave them life is now very constricting and confining. Mm -hmm. And it's very difficult to break out of that. And I've felt that way. It's really, really 
refreshing to hear that you and Ian went to an exhibit that almost showcased that. And it was a, a primary point that this person, this artist, started what they were most remarkably known for simply by needing an outlet from what they were doing before. Mm -hmm. And it can be something simple as that. Yeah. Just picking up a different tool and using it however the heck you want. Right. For whatever reasons you want. And then it becomes something incredibly remarkable mm -hmm. later on down the line. And I, I, it's super refreshing to hear that. I think um, something that you said was very interesting. You, when you're not focused on like working, you're still kind of feeding your passion. You're still feeding it by reading these what would be called self-help books, but they're not like, oh, I'm doing so bad yeah. in my life. But they're totally <laughs> yeah. found in the self-help uh -huh. section because they teach you to empower yourself and mm -hmm. they're they're giving you ideas and like tenets to live by or to work by or to produce by. And I think that's super important too. The the research, the the feeding, you know, that 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 kind of interest. I've spent a lot of time reading like those kinds of books too more along the lines of how to diversify and that was what got me into you know reaching out towards the management side of what mm -hmm. i do mm -hmm. to see you know i've always had this kind of a mind what would happen if i went a little further and decided to be xyz manager or uh. this that producer you know like what would happen um but i think that that's also something very beneficial picking up a book about something very closely related to what you're doing and just seeing what someone else's perspective offers you. Mm -hmm. You know, if nothing else, you read a, a good book or exactly. a book, even if it's yeah. not good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like to do that too. Um, a lot of the people that I meet in more recently in this world, being such diverse artists also write. Um, and uh, there's a, a, an artist that I met for the first time Last summer, his name is Keith Buckley. He's the vocalist and lyricist for a band called Every Time I Die. They're a Buffalo, New York-based hardcore band. And I grew up listening to his music, and mm. I've always um, felt very connected to the lyrics that he wrote and has written and continues to write. And just the way that he puts words together is very witty and cool and i just i like it you know if, if nothing else i like his art yeah and over the summer i did the vans warp tour the very last full u.s circuit of the vans warp tour rest in peace thanks kevin Lyman. <laughs> and i got to meet him and spend a bunch of time with him and i found out that he is a book writer and wow. i purchased like three copies of his book it's called scale one of his books and i read through that and it was amazing it was kind of a biopic about a musician who mm -hmm. is tired of touring. They've been touring for like 20 years. Oh, that's so crazy. I don't know if that had any sort of rooting in his own beliefs or his feelings, but you know, that's the, that's the art, you know, yeah. it could be anything and it could be nothing. But I read that book and it was cool. And it made me think when you were saying you spend time reading, I, I kind of do the same thing, but not for the same reasons. I, I've read a bunch of different artists who are musicians excuse me, who are musicians that also write books. I've also read a lot of their books, whether they're little poem books or mm. novels like Keith's. And I do that because I like to support the other art that these artists make. I and that's that. what I like to do also in my 
when the music stops time. Mm -hmm. I like to see what else everyone else is doing and kind of just dive into that for a little bit and enjoy it and not try to think too analytically about it or sit down and think, well, why did Keith write this book? Should (laughs) I be writing a book? No, it's not about that. It's just, hey, I support my friends doing what they love to do. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to take a listen. I'm going to grab his book and read it. I'm going to... I love that. You know, I've, I've been to shows and picked up prints of these artists sometimes they're tattoo artists and they just make prints i'll sure i'll give you 10 15 bucks and hang this up on my wall or something i just like to support and be a part of that community and that's so important too supporting yes the community is very important to me that you that you love Mm -hmm. right it's Mm -hmm. one thing to just follow them on instagram but it's another thing to like actually support them by their albums it's hard for me to be like spending ten dollars every time i go see my friends because mind you now that i'm doing touring so much Mm -hmm. i have a lot of friends that are selling a lot of records i would go broke if i tried (laughs) to buy all of their albums but what i will do is i'll go and support their other passions Mm -hmm. and i will go pay for a ticket for a show instead of calling them and saying hey dude i haven't seen you in forever you want to get me on the guest list Mm. no i don't want to do that i don't want to be that guy i want to support them and i want them to know that you know, I'll give them the fifteen, eighteen, twenty dollars for the ticket, buy two of them, and then let them know, hey, I bought a ticket. Can I get access to go backstage with you so that I can hang out? But I want you to know that I'm not just calling and asking for a guest list spot or asking to, you know, hey, I love that you're writing a book, but can you just give me a copy? Right. Mm, that doesn't yeah, sit right yeah, with yeah. me. There's a lot of people that are yeah. that way, and it is what it is, but that's not who I want to be. Right. The, that support means too much to me and i don't really have any assets like that like i haven't written a book i don't have any t-shirts i don't have any pins or anything (laughs) like i'm just a sound guy so if i had something i'd be kind of annoyed if someone was just like hey you spent hundreds of dollars on the creation of this one thing give it to me for free yeah just because we're friends yeah Mm -hmm. no that that would make me feel really bad yeah so i never want to be that person to someone else yeah absolutely it's just community is really important to me especially artistic community it's it's not a competition. It's not a competition to me. I love that you said that. I feel like there are some people who kind of approach it as though it is a competition. I'm sure there are competitive times and there there are definitely moments in anyone's journey in which they should be competitive and mm-hmm. they should think what is the best way to quote unquote win this mm-hmm. situation. Mm-hmm. But I just think, you know, if you if you go and do that all the time, then you're you're missing out on a lot of opportunities. You're going to be the one with your head buried in your phone at Disneyland rather than realizing that <laughs> you're at Disneyland, you know? Yeah. It just sure. kind of happens. I feel you. I feel you. Um, I would love to talk to you about tour. Sure. Because I remember Ian had a little bit of a conversation and he he and you were talking about like life on tour, what mm-hmm. that's like. I'd love to hear just your experience from when you started touring, mm-hmm. um, what your biggest tour was, how long it was. Sure. And all that. So I started touring in 2012, 2012 or 2013. Uh, it must've been 2012. I was playing in a local punk band. I started this band with, a couple of my friends from school and we had the idea of up to this point in our lives, we'd all been going to shows and playing in bands locally, but that was the extent of 
our career as performance musicians playing local shows. So we decided to start a band together and not do that and just start by playing out-of-town shows. Um, our guitar player, his name is Nick Lopez. Uh, he's one of my best friends. He bought a van. He sold his truck, and he bought an eight-passenger Ford Econoline club wagon van off Craigslist. And we all went in that van and just played a show in Reno or something, some play, uh, Tucson or something like that. <laughs> and cool. the first show that we played was an out-of-town show. And then from that point, we just continued to play out-of-town shows. I think this particular band, the name of the band was Brave Coast. And this particular band, I think our first in-town show was probably our fifth or sixth show that we played. And at that point, we were like, this is a lot easier than we thought. It's expensive because mm -hmm. we didn't have any backing. We didn't have anything. It was all out of our own pocket. Yeah. And all the shows that we played out-of-town, we had to set up. And so it was a lot of effort and a, a lot of... Um, time invested but we got the feeling of being out on the road and then that's when i caught the bug the the, the travel bug if you will so i started trying to do that more and then a couple years went by and i think it was 2013 or 2014 i did my first tour as a sound guy or something i i don't, I don't even uh, yeah it was a sound guy but i didn't really get paid all that much and it wasn't for the money and it was for a band that I wasn't very close with but they mm -hmm. were local to San Diego they were going out on tour and they knew me as a studio sound guy and they trusted me to go out on the road with them the name of that band was Adestria and I don't think they're a band any longer but we went on tour with a couple of bands that are still bands and are still very active the headliner who is the the main act of the tour is a band called Attila and they're definitely still very active. There were other bands on the tour that some are still active. Some have rebranded. Um, and that was like my first, what I would consider professional tour because that was booked by someone who wasn't myself. There were managers involved that weren't myself. Mm -hmm. There were bands involved that I had nothing to do with getting a hold of. So that was my first, that was my introduction into the professional side of touring. And since then, I've just kind of tried to go the next step and get a, a, a better position the next tour. It's the same way that you might have a job and then you either lose the job or you lose interest in the job and you think, mm. what's the next step? Where can right. I go from here? Touring is a lot of a lot of interaction and very little privacy. Even when you're on the upper levels of tour with like tour buses and backstage green rooms and dressing rooms and this, that, and the other thing, there's not a lot of privacy and there's not a lot that you can do for yourself there, there's ways to you know make space and make time for yourself but mm -hmm. more or less for anybody that's interested in getting into touring and going on the road you have to be prepared to have zero personal space yeah and zero privacy it's very much like living with roommates that live in your room and though you can, you know, like I said, make your own space and have your own time, it will, there will be points that you are 
faced with a challenging situation and there is a wrong and a right way to deal with it because you're living with other people who are also depending on the position paying your paying your way or you know they are who you have to pay mm. so either way there's there's definitely motives behind everything that can get tricky and i've seen a lot of people fall out of touring because it's not for everybody it mm-hmm. takes it takes the right kind of person to be on the road it's it's uh you hear it a lot from people who have toured for years but it is very true it's not for everybody but i have found success because i just i i enjoy the traveling and i enjoy the work i really do enjoy working hard the way that i do when i'm on the road i wake up at work and i go to sleep at work and i guess you could call me a workaholic because of it but i've done that at the studio as well Mm -hmm. i have done 24-hour sessions literally working for 24 hours from midnight one day to midnight the next day and it it's not as tiring to me as it could be but maybe it's because i'm younger and I still have the, the time and the energy. Currently, I am touring with a, a couple of different bands. This last year, I worked with a band called Motionless and White. I do a, a job called Monitor Tech. Uh, I, I My job revolves around what the artists on stage are hearing mm. and how they hear themselves to be able to perform. So that is my job with that band is to cater to the needs of the artists rather than the audience Mm -hmm. with my audio skills. And then I also work with another band called Ice Nine Kills. They are a band from Boston. They're like a horror rock, horror metal group. Um, And I do front of house audio for them. So my job is to be responsible for what the audience hears for that band. Um, and then last year I also worked with a band that I haven't worked with for a couple of years, but they're good friends of mine, a band called Being as an Ocean. They have a couple members from San Diego that I grew up with. They have a couple members from overseas. They're a fantastic group, very, very kind hearted people. Um, I love working with them, but they just haven't been touring in the States for a little while. So I, I had the pleasure of working with them on their first tour back for I think like two years or something like that. First tour back in the States, which was great. It's a wonderful tour. I was a tour manager for them, and I was also their sound guy. So I, I like this last year, I worked with these three bands, and Motionless and White travels in buses, Ice Nine Kills travels in buses, and Being as an Ocean travels in a van. So And Ice Nine Kills for one tour also traveled in something called a bandwagon, which is it's, it's a company that has built out something of an RV, Okay. But it's it's not quite a bus and it's not quite a van. It's it's kind of the middle ground between the two. Mm-hmm. It's affordable for most artists' budgets. Um, they're they're great vehicles. But this last year, I was able to tour at three different capacities, as far as what my personal space would allow. And even on buses, you still don't have that that privacy, because your only area is a bunk. That's sometimes it could feel like a coffin you know Mm -hmm. and and that's not to deter anybody from going on tour but that's just the reality of it right is that even in these luxurious situations that you might see on mtv Mm -hmm. or you might idealize or see on something 
it's it's not the it's not quite the glitz and glamour unless you are the rock star or the star of the show then everything revolves around you and what you need because that's the name of the game yeah and i learned that being a tour manager it's not about how i feel being the tour manager it's a, it's about how my artist feels my job as a tour manager is by, is by far the hardest job that i've ever done but again i'm a workaholic i love it so if that's something that anybody who listens to your podcast is interested in tour management go for it try it it's a lot of work but if you feel like you'd be good at it chances are you probably would mm-hmm. it's it's all about what you're willing to go through and what you're willing to undertake on the road and there's no shame in stepping away from that if it's not what's good for you there are a lot of people that deal with emotional issues and psychological issues that try to be on the road and it might not be the healthiest environment Mm -hmm. for self-love um certainly dependent on the artists that you're with and the the immediate community that you have but depending on what kind of tour it is and how large of a scale it is you might have the opportunity for help when i was on warp tour there was a company called music cares that offered a lot of physical and psychological help for those who would seek it out they would be doing health checkups regularly i got my ears checked i got my eyes checked um there wasn't any I think there actually was a dental clinic on one date of the tour, but mostly Music Cares was there to make sure that the people who were working and on this tour every single day were getting the help that they need. And that's a wonderful asset to have on tour mm-hmm. because that's not always the case. You're, you're kind of out there on your own most yeah, times. Yeah, definitely. It's fun though. I, uh, I've had hard days. I've had good days. Um, tour is just, it's a, it's, it's a crazy beast of its own, really. It's a lot like things that I'm used to, like jobs that I'm used to here, but at the same time, it's also nothing like it. It's, it's very hard to describe, but the easiest way to see if you could do it, if anyone out there is listening and wants to try touring, rent a van from like the airport or something, go grab your boyfriend or girlfriend or your brother, your best friend go out into the woods or up the coast or drive for five hours somewhere Mm -hmm. else and just sit there and try to figure out the the surroundings and then go to another city and just do it for like stay in one place for like seven hours and then go somewhere else because that's what it is for touring. I don't, everyone always asks what was, uh, you know, how was this city? How was that city? Did you get to see this, that, the other thing? And almost always I'm saying, no, I didn't get to see it. Because I didn't have the chance to. I didn't have the right. time to. I'm only there for a number of hours and then I leave. Yeah. But my, the reason I'm in these places is not for sightseeing. Mm-hmm. It's for my job. And then mm-hmm. if I get to see sites, that's because I've made that time for myself. I've given myself the opportunity for that space. Yeah. But it it's not, it's not warranted. It's not something that is given you know, it's it's not something that it's um what's the what's the word I'm looking for? You can expect it's that. not exactly. I can't expect the opportunity to go sightsee or yeah. to enjoy these cities. The last tour that I did for my year was all through winter and one of the most 
notable dates. I can just uh, the I just think about this last tour that I did. It was with Ice Nine Kills, and we were in Buffalo, and we had to take all of our gear and put everything back into its case outside in the snow. Oh wow! While it's snowing, and <laughs> we're all sweaty. I'm wearing a t-shirt. The drummer's wearing a t-shirt and shorts, and we're out in the the literal freezing cold. Yeah. And it's snowing, and we're putting drums away into our, our boxes, and we're just shivering. We're freezing cold. Yeah. And, like, that's tour. That's tour, <laughs> baby. It's it's getting thrown into the thick of it mm-hmm. and doing what you got to do. And it just kind of touches back on what I was saying about the differences between live sound and studio sound. It's like, you're, you're, it's, it's all environmental. It's all mm. reactive. Studio sound, it's all proactive. It's all it it, it it there's a lot that goes into traveling and touring. I'm really curious to see what Ian's experience on tour was because yeah. he was also traveling as a technician. He wasn't the artist mm-hmm. on tour. He he is an artist on tour, but he is a technical creative exactly. the same way that I would have been. So I'd be I'd be really interested to hear what his perspective on tour was and the vehicles that he used which allows less or more privacy you know where was yeah, he in definitely. a bus was he in a bandwagon you know that sort of thing makes a difference i but, know the experience as his girlfriend but i'm sure he would definitely tell you like everything i know he's been meaning to reach out and have that conversation with you sure but um has it affected your relationships absolutely oh my goodness yes i have a girlfriend i've been with her for about three years now and she's been with me through like 10 tours, oh, 10 wow. or 11 tours. Oh my God. The longest, <laughs> excuse me, the longest tour that we went through together was a 70 day leave. So I was gone for 10 weeks. Oh my gosh. To the day. The day that I left and the day that I came back was mm-hmm. 10 weeks exactly. And that was unbelievably trying for the both of us. That was two tours back to back. I missed Valentine's Day which is also my brother's birthday. I missed her birthday. And I think I almost missed my mother's birthday that year. This past year, I missed everybody's birthday that I love and care about except for my father's. And I left two days after my father's birthday. So this last year was a a tough one. But that time that I was speaking of, the 70-day tour, that was very trying. Most of the time, it takes... The same way that it takes a special kind of person to be on the road, it takes an even more special kind of person to stick around <laughs> and to understand. Um, being on the technical creative side and not the rock star creative side, it's very different. For those who don't go on tour and who don't work at that capacity and who aren't privy to the backstage behind the scenes, it can be very misleading and very it can allow for anxiety because you're left thinking, what is my partner doing for these six hours that they're absent? Mm-hmm. And I see everyone else that he's on tour with on Instagram. <laughs> what are, what, what is he or she doing? But the reality is for the creative technical side, we are working probably All a third, time. if not yeah. two thirds more than the rock star creative side, mm-hmm. because we are there specifically so that the artist can be free. Yeah. So it is our job, our duty, our responsibility to be working more than they are. And if we don't, mm-hmm. we get fired. We get sent home. 
We get a plane ticket bought for us without our knowledge. We get a sit-down conversation. I'm sorry. Thank you for your work. It's just not working out. We're going to drive you to the airport. I've had to fire people. Luckily, I haven't been fired, but I've had conversations where I've made a mistake. Mm -hmm. And they sat me down and they said, you cannot do this again or you will be sent home. And it's a very real thing. It is just a job. Yeah. But it has taken a toll on my relationships. I've lost friends because I've lost touch. I've gotten into arguments with my parents, with my girlfriend, because I've lost touch. And it it's easy. It's easy to fall out of the regularity of home life because you're professionally homeless. You, you, mm. you lose track of so many things when you're, you wake up and you're at work. And then you go literally to start your job. And, you know, there'd be times I'm on the East Coast on tour and... I live in the West Coast. So on the East Coast, I'm three hours ahead. Mm -hmm. So I'd wake up at 8 in the morning on the East Coast, and it's 5 a.m. back home. Nobody's awake. Right. Nobody I love or need to talk to is awake. But by the time it gets to be 11 on the East Coast, I'm starting my job. Everybody back home is waking up. So my girlfriend will text me, good morning. I won't respond for another three hours. And then she'll say, why didn't you respond to me? Why didn't you like, what, what were you doing? That was so important. And, and she'll be upset. And yeah. I, and I'm very understanding of this because I know what it'd be like. And she'd say, why didn't you respond to me? What were you doing? And I'd have to explain, I was doing my job. I was doing this, you know, like, well, everyone was on Instagram. I saw that this person and this person was at breakfast. Like, where were you? Why weren't, you know, why weren't you talking to me? And I, I completely understand that anxiety and that, that feeling of, being left alone or left mm -hmm. out but it's just you know we've had many conversations she and i she's very understanding and she's encouraging of this decision for me to be on tour and for me to go on tour and to work at that capacity because i i have made it my own like prerogative to make it financially worth it for me to leave mm -hmm. because if I'm not making the money, then what's the, what's the deal? What's right. the point? Yeah. Because I've been touring now for enough years where I don't like to be uncomfortable. Mm. I mean, if I, if I cared about being uncomfortable, I wouldn't live in San Diego. I love comfort. So being on the road, it's not about my comfort level. It's not about anything like that. It's a job. I'm there yeah. to do a job and then I'm there to go. I'm not there to make friends, not there to be a party guy. I do my job and I go home. I'm very friendly, but that's not my main goal. So her having seen this and me being me sticking to that goal of mine of just making it a job and dedicating all of my free time to communicating with her and still feeling connected with her and yeah. going out of my way to make time for those that I care about while I'm away has proven to be a wonderful like savior in that because mm -hmm. it's very easy to get lost in the tour because you're not around anybody that you know so the people that you're with become your closest friends and your family right you go out to dinner with them all you go out to breakfast with them all and you know if you're not careful you might lose everything back home because you get caught up in the tour life it, it's a very real thing but it um it can either take everything from you or it can empower you it's just kind of all about how much you're willing to give when mm. you're on the road because it's 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 a trying it's a trying situation yeah. but if it's love it'll never it'll never take everything away from you you know what i mean it might mm -hmm. be challenging never difficult 
Yeah. But it's it helps being able to have I've flown her out and had weeks with her on the road and brought her to places that she's never been to and whenever I come home while I'm on tour I make sure that she's by my side the entire time at the concerts even when I'm working it's it's uh it's taken a toll on my relationships but I'm choosing myself not to let it ruin them because mm-hmm. it's very easy to let that get ruined if you right. let it yeah well it's it, it could be tough but I feel you yeah Especially me being on the other side. Ian was sure. only gone for 40 days. Yes. So what, like That's six still weeks? a very long tour. It was long. It felt like forever. And being able to, to be the first, being able to see him go, mm-hmm. and then also being the first person to see him come back home was yep. like, I totally get what you mean by just having that communication because I know it was hard. It was hard for him because he just didn't have signal most of the time or he would be working, editing while or they're in the van. not to mention going into another country. Yeah. Like if he went into Canada, mm-hmm. he went oh into my Canada. goodness. Yeah. I was in Canada. There was a tour that I did with her where I went into Canada three different times. Mm. I went up through Buffalo into like Toronto yeah. and London area, came back to the States, went across to Detroit, went up into Windsor, Came back into the states, went across to the to Washington, went up into um, Vancouver. Vancouver, came back, and that was that was tough because I don't have an international plan. Mm-hmm. Some people do. I know T-Mobile is a great like company to do to have a phone plan with if you're going international because their T-Mobile One plan, whatever, not an ad. <laughs> and, uh, so you know, like it, it, it's it's possible, but man, it is it is it is tough. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. I don't know how I would deal if my girlfriend was the one on tour and I was the one at home. That's the reality of it. So when I had that thought process shift, I started to realize, man, I really got to make this easier for her because I don't know what I would do if the tables were turned. Mm. It's all just about how much you care about your partner really and how much you're willing to go. And I I don't mean to say that. I don't mean to say (laughs) that like whatever they are doing or whatever Ian did is not, is indicative that he doesn't care or that he does care or you know, whatever. It's just kind of the way that I view it. Is yeah. I know that I could be doing more. And so I choose to do more and I choose to poise myself. Luckily, I've been doing this for long enough with all the bands that I work for and work with to where I can have the conversations with my quote unquote bosses and say, look, I, I kind of need this. Mm-hmm. And if, if you can't have, if you can't offer this to me, I totally understand because of X, Y, Z reasons but you have to understand that I won't be able to work if I don't have these things, uh, you know? And, and it's, just, it's just kind of, I'm fortunate to have that kind of working relationship with those that I work with. And I know mm-hmm. that that's not something that everybody has, especially if they're starting in the touring world. Yeah. I remember when I was starting that, that tour that I mentioned, my very first tour, uh, professional tour, I got paid something like 200 bucks for a five and a half week tour. So if you divide that by a week, that was forty dollars a week oh, for working all day long. Like not even necessarily working all day long, but being at work all day, every yeah. day, because that's what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it has to be worth it for those who are Damn. going on tour, and for those who have partners who aren't on tour. That's another big thing. A lot of the people that I've grown most fond of on the road are people who are who have husbands or wives, 
and they go there, they do their job. They're not super duper friendly. They're not out there partying, drinking, doing anything. They're doing their job and they're going home. And they're on the phone with their wives, their husbands all day long. FaceTime when I see them. They're out to lunch. I never see them outside of showtime or setup time and that's awesome. I love that about those people. And 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 it's, you know, it's it's just a it's a very tour is a very weird thing. Mm-hmm. I love it and I love the interaction and I love the work. But what I don't love is how scary it can be to get lost. It's very, very easy to get lost in tour. And I see it happen all the time, especially on a thing like Warp Tour. There's yeah. hundreds of bands equating to thousands of people on tour because there's the band, there's the crew, there's the staff, there's the security, there's the medics, there's... Oh, man. <laughs> excuse me, this, that, and the other thing. So, like, there's every kind of person on mm-hmm. a tour like that. And you see every kind of situation on a tour like that. So that was that was a very eye-opening experience for me. And that kind of really flipped the script in my own head about my relationships, both my with my girlfriend and with my family mm-hmm. and with my friends. So that was that was one big eye-opening experience was seeing people get lost in the tour world, seeing people get sent home because of XYZ reason. It was just very, very like harsh life hit me in the, yeah, in the face for sure does ian have tours coming up you know what i hope so <laughs> um i'm not quite sure but at least from my knowledge he doesn't yet but i know there's some that he would love to go to and do more video and photo stuff for Good. so i'm very excited for him whenever that does happen mm-hmm. but i know it is going to be like sad for me because i'm just like wait what do you mean you were just gone for 40 days sure yeah <laughs> um but yeah, I I love that you shared that. And I think it's really great for people to know because I think I didn't really know what to expect when he went on tour. Mm-hmm. You know, just being his partner and knowing I knew he was going to be taken care of because he was touring with a friend and I know all of them. And but it was also like I also don't know how he's going to be because, you know, I want to make sure like he's doing good, like mentally, physically and spiritually. Sure. But, you know, I have no mm. control over that. And it was it was just a trying time for sure. Yeah. But absolutely. it was great when he came back because it just kind of showed us like what that meant for both of us and how mm-hmm. deep we are in this relationship together. One positive thing that I've found with my relationship with my girlfriend through touring is that we have become so much stronger mm-hmm. and so much more honest and trusting yeah. of one another because of the situations that we both get put in when we're on the road, when I'm on the road. Because she's left alone at home to do everything that she normally does in her own life. But let's say she wants to go out to a bar that she would normally be inviting me to. And, you know, it's it's kind of it's kind of really upsetting that th- women deal with so much like in, yep. in, in the whole like <laughs> social interaction between a male and a female and, yeah. and, and where the male goes way too far over the line and it. it warrants a certain kind of response from the the woman in the interaction and it's not fair but i'm almost walking her into that because i'm not there you know Mm -hmm. she can handle herself but you know had i not gone on tour and the relationship just been us here you know in one place i don't know that we would have the same communication yeah i don't know that we would have the same openness about situations like that or honesty you know and i'm not i'm not saying that i don't trust that she would be that way but 
this is the way it is. Yeah. It is not that way. So I don't know what would happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the, the sorts of situations, it's, it's very similar to a long distance relationship at times yeah. where you don't get to see your partner for days, weeks, months on end. And you just got to trust. It puts a lot of importance on trust and faith and knowing who you're with yeah, and knowing absolutely. how they act in these situations. And not all tour is bad. It's not like I'm out here saying that, you know, tour was like, there was groupies all around and like, she didn't know if she could trust me. It was, it was more simple than that. Honestly, it was very much just a conversation of, she doesn't know what goes on in a day on tour until I flew her out for a week and she got to see, I wake up and I'm at work and I have to start working. And sometimes I get woken up to work to go deal with something at the hotel or, something just try someone tried to break into the vehicle or something oh, like I, I have to be yeah. the one to be responsible for those sorts of things so it's it was a it was a very revealing it's been a very revealing journey for mm-hmm. the both of us and it's taught us both a lot about ourselves having this long distance dynamic added into our relationship we're all about each other both of us yeah so having me forcibly removed I mean, granted, it is by my own will because I want to make this money. Right. But having me removed and separated from her in in distance and in physical location, like it's 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 brought a whole different level of trust into mm-hmm. our relationship, which I'm grateful for. Yeah. And some people have that. Some people don't. Um, I think it, it, it it's not really the tour that will break that. It's all about how hard everyone involved is willing to work for that or if it's even right for them Mm -hmm. because it might not be whether the touring isn't right for the relationship or the relationship isn't right for touring yeah it's one it's 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 something that's for sure (laughs) all right a few last questions for you um i'm sure you know who this is from but how was it editing drums for nickelback ah (laughs) the nickelback question so yes i did work on the newest nickelback record um i did some editing for that and editing to to put it uh more plainly in my job uh, it's it's more about cleaning up audio files so in any sort of capture with an audio file there might be unwanted noise there might be um let's say for a vocal there might be like lip smacks like a something like weird noises like that i would go in and cut that out and omit that from the final audio file that might be heard on the record I didn't work on any vocals, but for drums, the uh, the name of that game is time alignment. So there might be a a certain speed of the song, and in that speed there is subdivisions, and you want to make sure that the drummer is playing in time with the subdivision of that speed. So if he's a little uh, off beat. Or she, if she, if he or she is a little offbeat, my job as an editor for drums would be to nudge the hits over little by little to make sure that it feels correct to the speed of the song. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a a sea of technical terms I could use for this sort of process, but I did I did that kind of editing for drums. Um, I did some time editing and pitch editing for bass guitar and i believe i did some guitar editing for time alignment as well but i'm not i can't remember this was this was about a year two years ago 
Um, that was a great project to work on. I had no idea what I was working on until I was completed with all of my duties. I was given anonymous files from a producer that I work with. His name is Chris Baseford. He is a Canadian born LA based, uh, record producer. Great, great producer. One of the best that I've worked with. And I've learned a whole bunch from him, both in doing these edits for him and also just watching him work and picking his brain about different concepts that he has. Um, I, he gave me files. He asked if I was willing to work on some files very quickly said, sure, send them over. He sent them over. I thought they sounded great. Excuse me. And uh, I returned all the files for a number of songs after I was done. And I asked the name of the project. I said, this is pretty cool. Like, is this a new band uh, that you're working with? It sounds very rock. And he said, this is Nickelback. And I said, <laughs> wow. I, I had no idea. I was blown away. And I wasn't allowed to say anything until the record came out. My name is printed on the record. It was a That's huge awesome. accomplishment for me. It's probably the biggest accomplishment that I've had working in audio thus far. This was, was it 2019? That was definitely late 2017, I think, that that came out. Mm -hmm. um, the record is called Feed the Machine. It's a, a great, great record. I love it. I'm a big fan of Nickelback. I know that a lot of people are hit or miss with that band, but I love that style of music. That's the kind of music that I grew up around. That's the kind of music that I work with primarily is active rock hard rock metal you name it um that was a great great project to work on i didn't do much but i'm proud of what i did yeah that's and awesome it hasn't quite led to anything after the fact um but i know that i'm playing the long game mm -hmm. so that to me is the first of many large accomplishments that i'm aiming for that's this awesome. year i'm aiming to get another large scale project under my belt like that one for sure even if i am doing something quote unquote simple in process mm -hmm. um i still think that there's value in everybody that touches a record everything that happens every set of ears that hears a song it's all just part of the formation of it mm -hmm. and it all it all plays a part at some point that was a, that was a, a, a great fun one. That was an I'm in question, wasn't it? Oh yeah, for oh, sure. Yes. <laughs> he was standing here for a good like <laughs> five minutes, just staring at you. Wow. <laughs> um, and last, wait, no. Before I ask you the final question, I would love to just hear a piece of advice from you sure. to aspiring creatives, whether that is in the music industry or just as an artist. Sure. Uh, I think the the the. The most important advice that I could give, and, and I, I give this to myself all the time, is just answer the door. Mm. When opportunity comes, answer it. Don't. Iman has said something to me and to a couple of different people that I've adopted, and it's don't miss your blessing. You know, there are every every opportunity that, that everything is a choice. You know, you can choose to go for it or you can choose not to go for it. And if you're an aspiring creative and you want to take your creativity to the next level, you can't be afraid of you can't be afraid of the opportunities. Yeah. Because there is no shame in trying and not succeeding. I don't believe in failure if you try. I believe failure is not answering the door and the omit the omission of possibility. You know, like that's that's failure to me is allowing yourself not to even try mm -hmm. um if you're struggling and you're stuck step back and 
relax and let the music stop and and let yourself let yourself go a little bit feed yourself nourish your creativity don't try so hard for it to happen and it will because if you feel that you are a creative then you will create there Mm -hmm. is no doubt about that there's nothing that could stop you from creating you just have to find where the creation is going to come from i'm i'm really spiritual about this sort of thing even when i'm making a song or helping an artist produce a song i don't think what do i like to hear i think what does the song call for what is what is the quote unquote universal creativity channeling through me what is my creation mm-hmm. outlet mm-hmm. and allowing that to to lead the conversation might help any creative get out of their rut maybe they're focusing too hard on writing the next chapter in the book that they've been writing for 15 years now maybe you don't need to be writing it maybe you need to go out and take a voice recorder and speak or maybe you need to go paint a picture mm-hmm. and then in the process of painting that picture you're developing the story of the picture and then there's your idea and then you can go write it again you know like it, don't be afraid to try a different outlet and don't be afraid to take a step back to allow something else to happen but yeah i guess those are the those are the those are the three it. things answer the door don't be afraid to step back and let yeah. things happen and don't be afraid to try something new mm-hmm. if for no other reason than to say you you freaking did it you know mm-hmm. go to a pottery class paint a paint a ceramic bowl and those have fun, so fun you know yeah uh, it's it's all about creation and, and like i said if you're creative you're going to create there's mm-hmm. no doubt about that yeah definitely and one last question sure if you can have coffee and convos with anybody who would it be Ooh. Do, do they have to be local to San Diego or no, not anybody? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Dead or alive? Mm-hmm. Ooh. That's a really, really good question. And I don't really know how to answer that. But I know that I, I just, I love having conversations with people. So if I were to answer that question, I would say I would like to actually have an open forum coffee and conversation okay. with anybody really i know justin true love one of my best friends he's a, a a very articulate person he's very creative very intelligent he's got a lot of um strong and firm opinions which i enjoy talking to somebody who has firm opinions because it creates um creates very like interesting and invigorating conversation if you can if you could talk to somebody who has firm opinions that knows how to be aware that they are opinions and it's not just like mine is better than yours you know right. whatever that he's someone that i would love to have a coffee and convos with he's actually somebody that i very often have conversations with <laughs> over coffee ironically i love it so uh he's somebody iman if he hasn't been on Aww. on coffee and convos oh, he yet. totally has um have you had a coffee and convos with apollo not yet. See, Apollo I Lassan, have some big plans with he him. He is a fantastic person mm-hmm, he is. who can talk and talk and talk and talk. And did I mention that he can talk? Oh, he could talk. He can talk. Oh, for sure. So he's We've he's talked. he's <laughs> <laughs> he's someone that would be really cool to have a coffee and convos with. Um, I think anybody that has a strong will and is making an impact in any sort of way with 
in themselves or within a community, I think that's somebody who would be worth having a conversation with over coffee. Coffee shop owners. I know I'm totally not answering your question. (laughs) I'm like dancing around it, but (laughs) I, I guess I don't really, I'm... People pick like Obama and Oprah and yeah, stuff. Yeah, actually, President Obama would be a great person to have a conversation with over coffee. That would be that would be really cool. There is um. There is somebody who I know through tour. Actually, no, I don't know him through tour, but I've toured with him. He would be a really cool person to have a conversation with. There's two people. Uh, the first one, three people. Wow, they're all coming to me. So. Uh, two people are in the same band. One of them, his name is Joel Cortuccio. He's the vocalist. He's one of the vocalists of a band called Being Is an Ocean. I mentioned them earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, there, uh, he lives in San Diego. He grew up out here in San Diego, and I went to concerts with him growing up as a kid. And we were always like kind of in the same scene. Didn't really become closer friends until a number of years back when I started to work with his band. Um, he is an, a wildly intelligent human being, um, very, very kind, but very opinionated. And I think he's he's also super articulate, very great with words, and I think he'd be a wonderful person to have on, on the show. Um, the other person in that band who would be very awesome is uh, the guitar player of the band. His name is Tyler Ross. He lives in Paris now. He graduated from, I think... Actually, I don't know where he graduated from. He's an in, in, incredibly intelligent person. He's a mathematician, covered head to toe in tattoos. One of the nicest people I know. That's cool. Straight up. He looks just from the outside looking in, he looks like a thug with, you know, a barbed wire necklace and tattoos on his neck and in, and his hands. And he plays in a rock band and he wears lots of black and leather. And like, you'd think he'd be like a total thug guy, but mm-hmm. you talk to him and he's a complete sweetheart has a whole lot of great ideas. He's done so many different things in his life, not just played music. He was a tutor for college students when he was in high school. Like he is, he's just by far one of the most intelligent people I know. Um, and a fantastic, fantastic creative. He, uh, he's someone that would be really awesome to have on the show. And the last person would be, uh, the vocalist of the band ice nine kills. His name is Spencer Charnas. He, uh, he's a movie buff mm. and he's a great lyricist. He's a great songwriter. He's just a, a, a wonderful person to be around. He does a lot of really cool stuff. He works with a lot of really cool people and he's got a lot and a lot and a lot of amazing stories. So oh he's God. just someone that can just talk and talk and talk and he loves tea and coffee. Nice. And so he'd be great to have on the show too. But yeah, I, I think it'd be also pretty cool to have the flip side of it someone else proctor an episode and have you on the show and offer your <laughs> own sort of things if you haven't already done that already i we think that'd be doing pretty often i think that'd yeah. be pretty cool thank you thank mm-hmm. you but these are all people that you would have coffee combos with got it you got know it. well i mean i guess in that right i did in fact mm-hmm. have a conversation over coffee with you yeah but before this show closes what kind of coffee do you like specifically um not necessarily oh. <laughs> not, not, not necessarily not like necessarily roaster? like roasters but okay. like do you do you prefer iced coffee do you prefer espresso do you prefer lattes that sort of thing if i were to go like my go-to is a cortado okay it's like 
What is a cortado? A cortado is kind of like a latte, just less milk. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. It's and also that's with espresso, espresso, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. I love espresso drinks. Yes. I think that's where a lot of really great coffee shops can get creative, not only with the roast, but like what they can create with it. Because you can get like crazy flavored lattes or you could just keep it simple. Sure. But espresso is delicious. Yes. And I know there's people who are just like me, but I love, <laughs> I love espresso. Yeah. So. There's so many different types of coffee too. It's it's quite impressive. I've just recently learned about an AeroPress mm-hmm. and I learned about it through Tyler Ross and it's pretty cool. It's like a French press, but it's there's different ways that you can press your coffee with an AeroPress. And that was what kind of the light went off in my head was like, "Oh my goodness, there are so many different ways to make coffee." I love there's so many different for that reason. things that go into mm-hmm. a good brew or a bad brew. Yeah. Goes to the beans, the the way you grind the beans, the temperature of the water yeah. that you brew it in, whether it's cold brew or uh, a pour over or whatever. You know, there's so many different ways to make a coffee, and in a way, that could be a metaphor about like everything that I do. There's so many different ways to do what I do. There's so many different ways to to be creative. Mm-hmm. You just got to find what works with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it. How can people find you on social media and just keep up with what you're doing? So I am most active on Instagram. And even that, I'm not very active. And that's <laughs> my own fault. I understand the social media is there for me to connect to other people. But if anybody would want to get in touch with me, if you know they want to talk about what they heard on the podcast or if they want to book time to work with me or take me out on tour the best way to do that would be through instagram they can find me on instagram using at elmo arteaga uh would you have like a link to this on the podcast i would have um yeah everything would be on the podcast and also on the website sure yeah um i don't have a website currently uh, if you, if anybody's listening and they find me on Instagram, feel free to message me and I could give them, or I could give you the listener, my email address or what have you, and we can stay in touch. And I, that's, that's probably the best way to get awesome. a hold of me is on Instagram. Cool. Well, definitely give him a follow and see what he's up to. Super excited. And I'm really glad that we had this conversation. Me I feel too. like we could talk forever. Oh, I feel like this podcast is probably super long. Sorry, Iman, but thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Iman. Um, but yeah, thank you guys for tuning in and we'll catch you in the next episode.